Hello, everyone, and welcome to Discussions on Concussions podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Coombs-Renwick, and this episode's going to be a little different. I usually have a guest that joins me, but for this one, I thought it would just be myself. So today's subject is depression, and I'm purposely putting this for the last day of January, January 31st, 2021, because January can be a really rough month for everybody. You're coming down from the hype of the holidays, time with family, loved ones, time off from work, time to rest or time to do all the fun things you want to do, and then you kind of hit the ground running in this month that there's not too much to look forward to, unless you're a January baby, of course, or something else exciting in your life. Um, And depending on where where you live, like for instance, Ontario, Canada, it can be a wintry mess. So it's not like it's great weather. The days are shorter. It's darker. So in overall, it's depressing. It's, you know, the typical seasonal depression that anyone can get. But with post-concussion syndrome, it's not discussed very often that depression can be a very real thing that comes with it. I've had six concussions now myself, and my fifth concussion when I was cooped up in a dark room and away from university, I missed out on a lot and had to cut back in classes. So of course, I, I was sad, but I wouldn't say I was maybe maybe I would as a little depressed but I wouldn't say I was flat out suffering from depression and then this concussion as I've mentioned before has been a lot different and I'm still recovering from it even though it's been three years I mentioned in September I finally shared my story with the whole world of who follows me on social media that I was diagnosed with depression and anxiety in September 2019. And when that happened, when that realization occurred for me to talk to my doctor and I finally was no longer in denial, it was a very hard pill to swallow. I'm personally somebody that always loves having the reputation of being positive or cheery, optimistic, And I felt that once I, I heard that news, you have severe depression. I was like, what? This, is this my new reality? So even in the diagnosis itself, it's just, it's very hard and challenging. And so that's when I was, you know, put on antidepressants, monitored more, like suggested to, to have a therapist, which is great. And I, I didn't tell anyone. Like, my husband knew, but I the first bit, I told one best friend, and I didn't even know how to tell her. I'm like, it's not like it's exciting news. It's it's weird news. I, I don't expect her to respond in any way. But it also made a lot of sense from how I observed myself since the accident in November 2017. And I... Uh, a, a lot was... C- clicking. Um, just ways I would react to things in my head, signs of anxiety that I just didn't even know was completely neglecting. And then those depressive episodes 
where you just get so discouraged in your recovery. And so when I was talking to her about it, it was, it was weird to mutter the words, I have depression. Because again, that was something that I never thought I personally would go through. I was fully aware of, you know, depression and what it is, the definition of it, and that people face depression and what that might look like. But I didn't really truly understand it, of course, until I I was started to live it. And yeah, it was just, it was a really weird thing that I remember took me a bit to even tell my parents, took me a while to tell even my sister. And it wasn't until even like spring of 2020 where I told my closer friends. And I think the hardest part of this journey was last January. And that's why I want to talk about January blues because last January 2020 was the worst month of my life, I would say. What I can remember because again, can't remember too much of my life. (laughs) But um, yeah, January 2020 was awful. I have mentioned before in a post, I think, on my personal account how that month was dreadful in the sense that every single day I had a migraine. It just wouldn't stop. I would wake up, the migraine was there. I would go to work, migraine was there. I would push through, I would try to act like my normal self, just smile and wave, and it was so hard to complete any task. It was it was grueling. And I would get home. I would still have that migraine. I couldn't cook. I couldn't clean. I couldn't do anything. Couldn't even walk the dogs. And I was miserable. I would nap while my husband would either make dinner or if he wasn't home yet, it had to be takeout. I would eat and I would go back to sleep. I couldn't keep up with texting or calling friends. Because even on my weekends, I had no plans. You asked me what I did? Nothing. And little did I know, a pandemic would come and then I would be doing nothing. So um, I didn't get to soak up in the last bit because those months leading up to that pandemic, I was just in bed doing nothing. And it got to this point where my head pain and my physical and mental exhaustion was enough. And so there was a night where I think it was a Sunday night. You know, they say the Sunday scaries. You're not looking forward to going to work or whatnot. I was so frustrated with the amount of pain my head was feeling. It was like somebody was squeezing my brain as hard as they could. And it was going to burst. And it was the night before work. And I just started crying. I was like, I can't do this anymore. I can barely talk. I can't do anything but just be in bed. But I have to go to work. I have to get things done. The world can't just stop while I'm in this state. And through those tears triggered a panic attack, which was the first panic attack I've ever had in my life. And it was scary. And my husband was so thrown off because even though he's been the one that 
you know, noticed my depression before even I did. Um, that panic attack, I just remember I, I couldn't breathe. And I thought, like, do I have to go to the hospital? I'm crying. I'm not really breathing. I'm freaking out. And I'm thinking, how, how will this end? And that's when the first time in my life I really came to the realization, oh, there's a solution to your problem. It could just end. Your life could end. And it's so hard to even think back to that moment because in that moment when I thought this could all end, it made sense. No more pain, no more suffering. And the tricky thing was with having, you know, the depression side and the anxiety side is that there I was, most depressed moment of my life, wanting to just curl up in a ball and not leave. But then my anxiety was freaking out, saying, you have to get up. You have to do this. You have to go to work. And they just battled each other. You know, I've seen I've seen little memes about that. Your depression's telling you, no, 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 you're not going to see anybody today. You're not leaving this room. And your anxiety's like, you're going to get fired. Something's bad's going to happen. Like, you have to get up, even if it's the littlest thing. So that was an internal struggle, which then fueled my panic attack even more. And then once my panic attack was done, and you would think, oh, the calm after the storm. Well, my breathing might have been a little bit more regular. I might not have been crying as much. But that's when the calm was just, okay, it's fine. Maybe this is your time to leave. Maybe this is it. As weird as it sounds, and it's it's hard to admit this, you know, more than just my therapist or my husband, I had an easy plan. I had a plan to just go to the corner store and buy a tub of peanut butter. And you're like, peanut butter? What? Well, I'm allergic to nuts. So that's an easy, yeah, eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and you're gone. Um, that's my humor. Sorry. No one, no one would suspect a thing. I'd be going up there as if, you know, I'm getting poison. And the cashier wouldn't blink an eye like, okay, this girl's just buying peanut butter. And I'd be there all emotional like, oh my goodness, here, here it is. And that's when I was so scared. Because for the first time ever, not only did I seriously think it, but I actually had a plan. And I'm a planner. I love planning everything out. But I never would imagine planning a way that was so easy to just simply end things. And I mentioned previously, I wouldn't have gotten through that night if it weren't for my husband and my dogs who I could just curl up and cry into. But thankfully, I did. I got through that night. And I'm not saying, oh, ever since I conquered that night, that one bad night of suicidal thoughts, oh, I'm cured, I'm good. No, there was two other episodes that I had in 2020. Not as bad as that, but 
still there. And there was even a moment right near the end where I have 2020 that I was just like, oh, well, there's, there is that solution again of just ending things because am I getting better? Is there hope? And even if you're religious or not, I know for me, my faith can get me through a lot of things, but what really I think helped me is that a couple days later, I had an amazing appointment and they were like, listen, we're going to give you all these different treatments. You're going to see this specialist and this and that. And like, they had no idea that I had another little episode days before seeing them. They had no idea. This was just the plan. And I left that appointment going home to my husband. And I was like, oh my goodness, this team is amazing. And they have a plan. They have a plan for me that I can see and I can work towards. And that just changed things completely. This January hit and I woke up being like, I'm going to take back my life. Yeah, my head can be miserable, but whatever. I'm not going to let it get me down. I'm going to do whatever I'm told by any healthcare professional that is creating this recover Rachel plan and I'm going to follow along. I don't care how crazy it is. I put my health first. I focused on the plan. Each day I've been chipping away, being like, here we go. You know, like I don't need to see results super fast, but whatever, whatever helps make me feel better. So, you know, I did simple things like let's cut out alcohol for 75 days. You know, it was easy during COVID. Everyone's like, oh, let's make drinks. Let's party on Zoom. Let's do this or that. Or it's sad. It's depressing. LCBO is open, but nothing else is. So I was like, you know, I know how my head reacts personally to especially wine. Wine is lovely, but really can be a headache trigger. So I thought, let's see how I feel with that. And, you know, I have healthcare professionals being like, let's make sure you're on these vitamins or supplements and let's increase your fitness. And for the first time, I was like, it's okay if my full time is consumed with making sure I'm better. Because I was really struggling with that in 2020 of the ups and downs of what am I doing with my life right now. But now it's that clarification of like, it's okay to just go one step at a time and have yourself be the focus for once. Because with these invisible injuries, you can't just put a bandage on it and it'll heal in a couple weeks or do a couple physio things and better, just like a, a bruised ankle. So what I'm trying to say is it's okay because even when you're in those darkest moments during your recovery and you feel awful and your head is driving you nuts and you feel like you're just having bad day after bad day and you don't feel like anyone understands what you're going through, know that I understand and many others understand and that's why I'm trying to really build this sense of community of hearing other people's stories because you, you maybe you got your concussion from a sport maybe you didn't maybe you just knocked your head getting out of a car maybe you're 16 years old maybe you're 60 maybe you've had one very bad concussion maybe you've had 10 what matters is that we share these stories and we talk about it whoever you're comfortable with with your loved ones 
it's really important to share what you're going through because again, it's invisible and they don't see a wound bleeding. They don't see a broken bone. It's hard to describe the pain that you're going through, the mental pain, the physical pain. But I promise you that if you become open in sharing that, things will get better. And if you really focus on just getting through, not pushing too much, because when you push through, poof, then you're back to square one. But just getting through one step at a time. I know we're told that all the time with post-concussion syndrome, but it's really true. We might take a couple steps forward and one step back, but it's worth it to get there. And I'm saying this as somebody who has not even gotten there yet. Well, at least this time. I'm saying that as somebody that is currently taking a couple steps forward, but oh, took a step back. Just know it's okay. And if you're listening to this and you haven't suffered from a concussion or chronic migraines, but you're listening because you're like, oh, I'll check this podcast out or I know Rachel support her. Well, take this and try to learn from it that if you hear a friend gets a concussion, check in on them because depression isn't talked about that much with it. Or if you just know a friend who you know suffers from depression or has seemed off, you might not even know. It's better to just check in and say, hey, I just want you to know I love you, care for you, and I'm here. Because those who are going through the darkest times of their lives, that's all they need to hear. They don't need advice. They don't need lectures. They just need to know that they're cared for and that you're there. So thank you for listening to me rambling on. I have to say, it's a little crazy just grabbing the microphone and just doing a rant. Usually a little bit more structured than this. And uh, yeah, we did it. We, We got through January. I think that's an accomplishment. So thank you all for listening and remember to rest that head of yours.